0: Mark chapter 15 and verse number 7. We'll start there. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will you that I release unto you king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom you have called the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out, The more exceedingly crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Let's just pause for a word of prayer this morning, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for who you are this morning. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that you are the God that loves us, that cares for us, that you are indeed the God that died for us. Lord, you dedicated your life for ours. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray as we would look at these passages this morning, you would help us all to remember and reflect upon that day. Help us to see the truth that your word has for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use me, that there would be nothing of me in this, that it would be all of you. I ask, Lord, that you would give me strength in my weakness. Lord, you would give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that you would anoint me from on high, Lord. Use me for your work this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would indeed move amongst us all. Or whatever it is we need this morning, the Lord would you meet those needs. Speak to us, Lord. Challenge us, uplift us, convict us, encourage us, Lord, whatever it may be. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. And you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll take you back to nineteen eighty-five, and there was a student named Michelle Malin. Uh, she was raped, and a, a man called Timothy Cole was sentenced to 25 years in prison, uh, just based on her testimony. No other evidence, uh, no DNA evidence or anything like that. Just just her testimony. He was offered parole if he would admit guilt, but he refused. He wouldn't admit guilt, and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. The ordeal was wrenching. It was tough and cold wet during the nights where he uh, awaited the trial that would sentence him to 25 years. During his prison term, he was found unconscious in in his cell twice as a result of asthma that had plagued him from childhood. The third time he suffered an attack on 2nd December 1999, Uh, he suffered heart failure and died in prison. Then in 2007, years after, another man came forward and confessed to the crime that Cole was declared, and Cole was declared innocent. Of course, it meant nothing to him. He had passed on. He'd spent all those years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've any sense of justice within you, Your heart should rage at that. It's unfair. That man didn't do that. He didn't deserve that punishment. And, you know, we see this in society. There's been trials, uh, there's been some celebrity trials. If you can think back to the O.J. Simpson trial, if you remember, where all the evidence... Everything pointed towards his guilt. But yet he walked away. And there was this great outcry. That it was a travesty of justice. That justice wasn't served. And you know these are the ones that make the headlines. But day in and day out. You'll find this in the court system. That there are people. That don't get what they deserve. And there are some people. That get what they don't deserve. It's the way it works. Because humans are fallible and flawed. So. I'm sure even in, in your own life, I mean, there's been some events in, in, in sport even where you know, justice hasn't been done, there's been foul play and people have got away with it. You know, um, If you're English, you, you, I'm sure you'll remember Maradona's handball. Eh? we still not over that, are we? No. <sighs> that wasn't fair, was it? It wasn't justice. He cheated and he got away with it. And, you know, these things should build up some form of of righteous anger within us. That, you know, it's not fair that people should get what they deserve. If you've broke the law, then you should pay according to the law. And if you haven't broke the law, if you're innocent, then there's no way that you should have the force of the law put upon you. Travesties of justice happen all the time. But I want to bring us this morning, as we've read, to the greatest travesty of justice there ever was, has been, or will be. When the Lord Jesus Christ, innocent, was sent away to be crucified. Talk about a travesty of justice from human eyes. This man was innocent, declared to be innocent, yet carried away to be hung upon a cross, to be tortured What a travesty. So I want us to just rewind back in time and and bring ourselves to the scene in Mark chapter number 15. And as I want to look through this this morning, the first thing I want to have a look at is the challenge from the captor. If you look at verse 9 of Mark chapter 15, we're introduced to Pilate. And Pilate's the one here at this point that has Jesus under his custody. Verse 9 of Mark 15. But Pilate answered them saying, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? In the events leading up to this, Jesus has been brought before the Jewish religious establishment. We call that the Sanhedrin. And he's been brought before them and he's been uh, subject to a kangaroo court, as it were. He's found guilty of blasphemy. There was no other uh, outcome that was going to happen that day. It was an agenda. Those in religious power wanted to hang on to that power. They were troubled by this man from Galilee who taught such radical teachings that were um, opposed to the things that they had built and they, they thought it was a threat to their power. And of course they wanted him out of the way and they did what they needed to do. The kangaroo court was set and Jesus was, was found guilty of blasphemy, the penalty of which was death. But of course at that time the Jews were under Roman rule and it was only the Romans that could enforce that penalty of death. So they had to go to Pilate and Pilate was the, the governor, if you like, of Judea and Samaria from about AD 26 the 80 36 and he didn't really have a good record as a governor he was cruel self-centered and he was hateful to the jews and here jesus is in his custody but as he as he judged jesus he was gripped with fear with the crowd outside him because ultimately jesus, pilate knew in his heart that jesus was innocent turn with me to luke chapter 23 verses 13 to 14 The wonderful thing about these different Gospels is they add different views and aspects and and detail to the accounts. Luke 23, verses 13 to 14. And Pilate, when he had called together, the chief priests and the rulers of the people said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you. I have found no fault in this man touching those things wherefore you accuse him. John chapter 18, verse 38. John 18, verse 38. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. No fault at all. Absolutely faultless. He wasn't guilty, he was innocent. Pilate knew this. He had examined them. He knew what was going on. He knew the uh, the charges were trumped up ones. He knew that it was a verdict that those people in the religious establishment wanted because they wanted Jesus out of the way. Full stop. End of. Pilate knew that he was innocent. But he was swayed by the crowd. Swayed by the crowd. Outside. Those Jews that had gathered Wanting the blood of Christ. So in an effort to avoid putting Jesus to death, Pilate comes up with a scheme. He comes up with an idea or thought that he could use to try and uh, make this situation go away because he didn't want to upset the crowd by just releasing Jesus, but he knew that Jesus was innocent, so he's stuck in a political dilemma so what he does is uh, uh, comes up with a scheme to bring in uh, and invoke an annual custom which is known as the Pascal Amnesty at the time and this was a once a year custom where the Romans would release onto the Jews, remember they were occupying them, they were, they were ruling over them and what they would do is a little kind of appeasement once a year uh, around this time is release a prisoner, somebody that had been held in prison uh, onto the Jews one of their own back to them and they did this around Passover um, the reason is because Passover is the height of kind of Jewish independence because it marks a time where God had delivered the Jews out of Egypt so if you're a political overlord and you're sitting over uh, the Jewish people who you're occupying you know this is where they all come to Jerusalem where they remember the time that they were delivered by an occupying power Politically, you want to do something to lower the tone a little bit so that it doesn't boil up. And this was what the Pascal Amnesty was, that this, uh, a prisoner was released onto those people to calm them down a little bit and just to make them feel, oh, aren't the Romans good to us releasing one of our prisoners? It was political game. <coughs> So Pilate decides, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invoke this now. We're going to do this now. And I'm going to release. Now, this paschal amnesty, this is important. There was two types of paschal amnesty that were offered. There was abolito, which was the release of one who was charged but not formally condemned. So this form of the paschal amnesty was to release one that had been charged but hadn't been judged or condemned. That was the Abolito, And then there was Indigentia. This was the release of one who had been found guilty and was on death row waiting execution. So these two types, for somebody, they could release somebody who was waiting charge, hadn't been formally charged, or they could also release somebody who had been charged, who was sitting waiting to die because they had been found guilty of the crime that they had committed, whatever that may be. So Pilate challenges the crowd. Mark 15 verse 9 again. Pilate answered them saying, Will ye I release unto you the king of the Jews? This is what he's doing. He's invoking this paschal amnesty here. So what is he doing? What is he really doing here? You may think, well this is good from Pilate. Right? This is a way out. But what's really happening here? By Pilate's own admission, he has said this man is innocent. He has tried him and found him to be innocent. He's examined him and he says there's no fault in him. But now he's saying, well, let's try and do this. Let's release one of these prisoners and you know the Jews then will do the right thing and they'll release Jesus. They'll want Jesus. Here's what Pilate's doing. He's wanting others to do the right thing even though he knows what the right thing to do is. And you say, pilot, pilot, if that was me, I'd do the right thing. But we live in a world, don't we? As believers and unbelievers, whatever it may be, that we're always looking for others to do the right thing. Because for us to do the right thing, it's going to be a hard thing. And if it's a hard thing, even though we know it's right, we don't want to do it and, and it would be great if somebody else could do it. And that's what Pilate's doing. He's relying on the Jews to see sense. He knows that if he releases Jesus, he might bring up fury within those Jews and it might be trouble for him. So he says, well, they'll do the right thing. So he passes the book, as it were, I say this is a trap that we all fall into far too often far too often where we see wrong we know right but we look for others to step in and do it for somebody else whether it be within the church Gesundheit. whether it be within the church or without the church oh, don't worry you know somebody will do the right thing I, I think I said this last week I can't remember I've slept since then, but, you know, sometimes when we see somebody broken down on the roadside, you know, I don't want you to put your hands up, but I'm sure you can relate to this. When you drive past, you think, oh, I should stop. And you think, well, I've gone on a bit now. Somebody else will do the right thing and pull in and see if they're okay. Right? Have you ever done that? Yes. Okay. We've done it. There may be other examples where you where you just... See things. I was watching. A kid was watching a thing on, on on TV the other day. It was an it was American show, and it was a it was. Um, they basically set up this um, put hidden cameras in, and in a cafe type thing. They they set up a scene where they had a a, a young a teenage girl that was skipping school, and they had an older man come in and start to talk to her and ask her did she want to go and play music and take her away and it, it, it it was set up to see if the people that were sitting around would indeed step in, they would see something there and say that's not right and step up and there were those that did but there were those that weren't, didn't And you could see in their faces they knew it wasn't right what was going on but they were either afraid or they didn't want to or they were waiting for somebody else to step up and do the right thing. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Sometimes, even maybe most of the time, there is nobody else that will step in and do the right thing. We can't rely on others to do the right thing. You can't choose for others but you can choose for yourself. And if you know what the right thing is to do, then you should do the right thing. All those years ago, Pilate knew what he should have done and he should have did it. But he didn't. He relied on others. And rather than um, relying on others, he should have made the choice himself, even though he knew it would have uh, blown back on him, even though he knew it would have been difficult and hard. He should have made the right decision. Now the church would be in a better state and our testimony as believers would be in a better place if we all determined to do the right thing. The world would be in a better place and each and every human being determined to do the right thing. What's the problem? The problem is we all suffer from that old sin nature that wants us to do the wrong thing even when we know what the right thing is to do. So Pilate should have done the right thing, but he chickened out, and instead he went down this route. He comes up with this scheme to try and, uh, you know, just everything will come out rosy, and it'll work all right in the end. I'll, I'll invoke the pastoral amnesty, and these Jews are going to see sense, and surely they're going to see this man that I've declared him innocent, that others have found him innocent, and we're go- they're going to ask for him to be released. well, how does it pan out? Verses 13 to 14. Mark chapter 15. We're going to hear the cry from the crowd. Look at verse 13. And they cried out again, crucify him. So Pilate, he's given them the option. Do you want them released under the paschal amnesty? They cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out, the more exceedingly crucify him. So if you think about this, you know, put yourself in the place of Pilate. This is backfired big time. He's relied on others to do the right thing. And instead of doing the right thing, they just cry out even louder, crucify him, crucify him. And you can imagine Pilate going, oh no, what's happened? What have I done? And it's too late now. It's too late. Crucify him is the cry. Verse 14, Pilate says, why? What, what evil has he done? This man is innocent. Why would you want him to be crucified? He hasn't done anything. But the crowd, they cried, crucify him. And what had Jesus done? He healed them. He taught them. He fed them. Crucify him, is the cry. And you have to imagine the ferociousness of the cry. This is a Middle Eastern cry. This is not a reserved uh, English cry. Uh, <laughs> I want to say English. I'm sorry, but from Northern Ireland, so reserved. Sometimes not. When we get in a crowd, we start to make a noise. But the, the Englishman takes a bit to be riled up. But the Middle Eastern crowd, they're ready to go from the get go. You can imagine the rabble. You can imagine the, the, you know, it's not a letter in the say, a strongly worded letter saying, please crucify him. They're screaming. Repetitively. All of them are gathered, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They're baying for blood. There's bloodthirst on their lips here. Things haven't gone the way that Pilate wanted. Why is the crowd so intent? I mean, really and truly, when you look at the life of Christ, you know, apart from the religious establishment, he was a popular figure. When he comes down uh, the Mount of Olives at the triumphal uh, entry as he moves towards this Passion Week, the crowds are there, the people are with him. We get into the city, things have changed a little bit because the city is heavily influenced by the religious establishment. The country folk are good folk. The city folk haven't uh, uh, had Jesus like the country folk have had him. Jesus has been in Galilee ministering all those, ty- those years. The city not so much. And they're more swayed by the politics of things. And that's what happened. that The people are swayed by those voices of influence in high places. Look at verse 11, Mark 15. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas onto them. Time and time again we say from this pulpit that there's no new thing under the sun. People are moved by little whispers in their ears about people in authority. And the religious establishment knowing that there's a chance that Jesus might be released by the common folk as it were they move amongst them and who knows what they offered them who knows what they whispered in their ear who knows what riches were promised to those that would vote with the establishment rather than against it. Think about this and I think about our events in our country over the last week or whatever it may be my allegiance lies with Christ with no political master but I watch and I think it's just a den of vapors the little conversations and the little oh I'm on your side and then the next day no I'm not and the the stabbing on the back and the political nonsense that goes on nothing new under the sun nothing new under the sun people of influence will always try to influence and that's what happens here And this goes on today. It goes on in churches, unfortunately. It goes on in the world. People of influence trying to influence. So the influencer's influence and the cry from the crowd is simply crucify him. But what of the paschal amnesty? Well, the people chose Barabbas. And if you remember, I said there was two types of this amnesty. There was one, you could release somebody who hadn't been charged formally, that was a waiting trial, as it were. Or you could opt to release somebody that was guilty and had been proven guilty and was awaiting death. And, And that's who Barabbas was. He was the one that should have been crucified. He was the one that should have been led away because he was the one that was guilty. Look at verse 7 of Matthew or Mark 15. It says, And there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with them who had committed murder in the insurrection. This Barabbas was a, a terrorist, a freedom fighter, as it were, but regardless, he was a murderer there's no doubt about this he's a murderer he's been found guilty for murder John's gospel John uh, chapter 18 and and verse 40 tells us that he was a robber also so he was a thief he was a a robber he was a murderer and he'd been found guilty put on death row waiting execution without hope of appeal or retrial Barabbas was a man without hope until the day that he was set free. And another was offered up in his place. And that brings us back to verse 15 of our time in Mark this morning. Where we have the crucifixion of the captive. We've seen the challenge from the captor. We've seen the cry from the crowd. And ultimately now we see the crucifixion of the captive. Verse 15 And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas onto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Barabbas is spared. Christ is to be crucified. And this is no easy way to go. This is no merciful form of execution. This is horrific, it's horrendous, it was reserved for the worst of criminals, for murderers. At one point in the career of Julius Caesar, feelings ran so high against him that he was um, attacked and he was uh, taken captive, he was sailing across the Aegean, he was going to Rhodes and uh, I can recommend Rhodes by the way, it's a lovely place after being there this year, lovely. Lovely. Um, but he was on there on, re- on ship and he was attacked by pirates. It's said he was captured. Those pirates arranged for uh, a ransom of 12,000 gold pieces. Caesar's staff were sent away to arrange the payment. They arranged the payment. They came back. Caesar spent almost 40 days, apparently, with his captors. And, and jokingly, he said to the pirates on several occasions that he would someday capture them and crucify each one of them to a man. Of course, the kidnappers were amused. What position was he in to do anything like that? But the ransom was paid. Caesar was freed. The first thing he did, as history tells us, he gathered a fleet, went after them, and crucified each one of them to a man. This was the Romans' attitude towards crucifixion. It was kept for the worst. Of the worst. There was no lower form or no harder form of execution at the time than crucifixion. The suffering and humiliation of Roman crucifixion was unequaled. And Pilate releases this murderer, Barabbas, the convicted thief. Is released and Christ, the innocent one, the one who the judge of the time, Pilate, has stood over, and on numerous occasions he said, I find no fault in him. This man is innocent. He has done absolutely nothing, is led away to face the worst possible death. One could face to be humiliated, to be hung with criminal, to be tortured. Yet what evil had he done? The innocent Christ Jesus was to suffer, be subjected to the humiliation, the pain and the agony of the cross. Yet he was innocent. What a travesty of justice. If we were to bring this forth to modern times, the world would be horrified. Horrified. people will be out with banners and protests saying this is unacceptable to put this man to such cruelty when he has done absolutely nothing crucify christ was the cry but the cry should have been crucify barabbas he deserves it He's the murderer. He's the guilty one. He's the one that should have went upon the cross. He's the one that should have paid for the crimes. And surely, if there's any ounce of decency in us this morning, we can say it should have been Barabbas. Never Christ. Never Christ. Barabbas was guilty. He should have paid the price. Right? 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 Hold that thought. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Hold the outrage at the injustice. Hold the thought that the innocent one was led away and yet the guilty one was set free. Let us read 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 1 to 7. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verses 1 to 7. Here we pick up with King David. King David has been a naughty boy. He's committed adultery. He's really committed murder by proxy. He's in a bad place. God sends Nathan the prophet on to David. David. Verse one, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up to gather with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring men that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So Nathan comes and he tells this account of this poor man that didn't have much but he did have a little lamb that he raised as a family pet. Loved it, looked after it took care of it then comes this rich man this entitled man the man that had plenty and rather than taking of his own to offer up a lamb for sacrifice for another he came and took the poor man's lamb he had nothing Verse 5, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. See, David says this is a travesty of justice. That shouldn't have happened. The man that did that deserved to die. He shouldn't have stepped over that poor man. He shouldn't have took what was his and offered it up. He should have offered his own up. How dare he do such a thing? And David's righteous anger is kindled, just as our anger is kindled as it should be, as we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ led away to be crucified upon Calvary's cross when it should have been Barabbas. It should have been the man that was guilty, the man that deserved to die. And this is what David says, this man deserves to die for the thing that he has done. Verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. Nathan says, the man in this little story that did the wrong, that took away that which was not his, and... uh, pushed his authority and his position and his privilege was you David and the things that you done you're the man you're the man and as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ who was uh, taken away to be crucified. And we think about Barabbas and we think about him and how he should have hung upon that tree and how he should have paid the price and how we all say that we're outraged at that and that's not right. What I want to say to you this morning from God's word is simply this. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Thou art the man. Thou art the man. See the word of God reveals Christ as a saviour but it also reveals us as sinners. We are guilty before God in our thoughts, our deeds, our actions wherever you want to go we have transgressed God's law. We have fallen short. And you say no, no, not me. I'm pretty good. By right? whose standards? Yours or God's? I've never killed anybody. But bet you've done it in your mind a few times oh I've never cheated but you've done it in your mind a few times I never lied you just did <laughs> whatever it may be oh I've never stolen really you may be thinking I've never broken into somebody's house but I know as a pastor that there's many Christians who have stolen my books <laughs> well can I borrow that book pastor yes you can borrow that book go on I'll bring it back next week on oh, will you We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We stand before God condemned on death row as it were. Waiting for his judgment because we are sinners by nature. We've transgressed every single one of us. We're Barabbas. We should face the punishment for what we've done. Barabbas should have faced the punishment for what He did. But he didn't. Christ died on Calvary's cross. Christ went and he took the punishment. And the righteous anger of God was poured out upon him. The law was poured out upon him as it were. He paid the price. Barabbas walked away. He walked away. And when we think about Calvary's cross and the fact that we're all Barabbas, whether we, we're saved or we're unsaved, we're Barabbas. We should be punished for our sin. And on Calvary's cross, humanity walked away that day. Christ took the sin for the whole world, past, present and future. Every sin that's ever been committed by every human being that's ever lived was taken by Christ on that cross that day. And humanity walked away. And a substitute came in. An innocent one for the guilty. And hung upon that tree. And Barabbas walked away that day. A picture of humanity walking away from that judgment. But the thing we know from scripture about Barabbas. We're not told anything else. Not even in church records or anything like that. Is that Barabbas walked away that day. And he never turned back. He never turned back. He walked away but he never went back to the one who had effectively given his life for his. He didn't turn back. He walked away. And that might be you this morning. That Christ died upon Calvary's cross for you. That's a fact that you cannot change whether you accept it or not. He did. You were Barabbas and you walked away. And the question is, have you turned back? Now if you're here this morning, you're a believer. What happened is that you walked away from the punishment that day. But you turned back to the one that had spared you. And accepted his forgiveness. Fell at his feet. Accepting him as saviour. Accept the free gift of grace. Saved by grace. Just simply accepting what Christ had done. But many just walk away and keep walking. And never turn back. Never turn back. And do you know what? I think that's probably the greatest travesty of all. Yes it was a travesty of justice but It was God's plan. That the Redeemer would come and be the substitute. That he would be the one that would take the punishment so we could go free. And that was a travesty that the innocent one had to do that. But the biggest travesty of all was Barabbas that walked away and never turned back to the one that had given his life. How many in the world today walked away and never turned back or are walking away now and aren't turning back to the one who saved them. And the reality is that, that uh, the day that they walked away from the judgment upon humanity was just a stay of execution if you do not walk back to the one on Calvary. So my question this morning is Barabbas, what will you do? Will you keep walking away? Or will you turn back? Because there is one that calls you to turn back on him. There's one that calls and says, I died for you. I paid it for you. It is all taken care of if you simply come to me. Come to me. What will you do? For those of you that sit here this morning that say, I remember the day when I turned back. I want to ask you a question. What way are you heading now? Did you turn back to the cross but yet you've turned back again to the old path? What a travesty that is to turn away from Calvary and all that the Lord has done for us. Barabbas was a man who walked away. My prayer this morning Is simply this. That we would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died for us. The paschal amnesty that was offered over the innocent for the guilty. A travesty of justice. But the greater travesty is, is seeing what he did and ignoring what he did. And walking away from what he did. Wonderful Lord's challenge you this morning on your walk where you're at, where you're and where you've been, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the offer to turn back is open because the Lord is gracious and loving and compassionate. I wonder this morning, would you turn back and not be the one who walked away? Let's pray.